This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, once again, I am delighted to be joined in studio with Pastor Ben Oakry. Pastor Oakry, I have been looking forward to this for about a week and a half. And so finally we're in here listening to yet another sermon on baptism. It's from a non-denominational church in Crossville, Tennessee, and I'm looking forward to seeing your reaction. I do find myself making some interesting faces I as agree. these things roll through. You and Pastor Bruss. Sometimes it's a face of horror. Sometimes it's a face of pleasantly surprised. and uh, A lot of rolling the eyes. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, this is good. I, I enjoy this because sometimes when you're just in the midst of being a pastor and shepherding your own flock and kind of just doing the, the law and gospel thing, and in the midst of that, you can think, well, I'm not doing anything particularly special. And, and that's when you start to maybe get itching fingers or ears or whatever it is to do something new. And then I, I hear something that is pretty out of bounds, and I think to myself, no, stay the course. <laughs> Be true and faithful and preach that word as God has called you to do. So this has been very beneficial to me as well. Good. All right, well, off we go. What is up, Rev Church? How you guys doing tonight? Everybody awake? Look at your neighbor and say, boy, it's good to be here, baby. Don't say baby unless it's your wife or husband, though, right? So... Man, it is good to be here tonight. Man, just go ahead and like tell your neighbor, like it's, it's so nice outside. I know it's a little windy and you guys decided to come to church tonight. So look at your neighbor and just say, you so holy. You know what I mean? Like, There's those eyes rolling again, Pastor Oakry, right there. We're just barely out of the chute. Well, I get it to a certain extent. I mean, and it's, and it's obviously very breezy and you're so holy. You can tell he's joking a bit and he's, and he's glad. And I've said things like at the beginning of the service, I'm glad you're here to be worshiping today. Uh, but it's also, it's kind of this uh, understanding of what your role is as a pastor. And you're not a hype man. You're going to be, you, you should be, and you're going to be saying things to that congregation, that flock that is under your care that they may not care to hear. And I guess I, I don't feel it's my job to butter the bread of my congregation, of my hearers. It's my job to accuse them of their sins and proclaim Christ to them. Well, this is true, but as Pastor Bruss and I have talked before, you don't begin your sermons like this. You begin your sermons with the votum. Yes. And that's not any kind of buttering up anyone. You make actually a really good point, is that there's a we're already in super casual mode here, aren't we? Correct. I'm talking, but feel free to talk amongst yourselves kind of attitude. When I say grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or in the name of Jesus, amen, or however it, you know that opening happens, I'm saying to them something very serious that's beyond you and me is about to happen here. I can't remember where I heard it, but there was a pastor who was talking about how he, when he was a little boy, his pastor would always come out. And this is before the sermon time, but right at the very beginning, before, I believe, the invocation, he would say that verse that says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the people be quiet. Well, that's pretty powerful. It is. And it made, even though I, I butchered that verse, it resonated with this guy who later either spoke about it or wrote about it. I can't even remember. But I always think about that. Man, why couldn't we start our services like that? Yeah, and there's a certain casualness that is taking over Christianity in America. You know, it's uh, have your coffee get in your comfy chair and enjoy. I want my sermons to be engaging, but I, I think when you have that whole air surrounding it, 
you don't have um, a full sense of why that sermon is important. I'm not up here in this pulpit to entertain you or for your enjoyment at all. I'm here to proclaim God's truth to you, uh, whether that is good or bad, law or gospel. I let the Holy Spirit sort that piece out, um, but I, I proclaim that truth as it's put before me in the text. We'll get a load of this. Hey, man, got to got to brag on God a little bit. I really don't have that long of a message tonight, I don't believe. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, have some baptisms tonight, as you can tell. Uh, this is our first time ever doing it at the mall location, and so uh, you guys bear with us. we got a baby pool now. We have upgraded from the back of a pickup truck, redneck swimming pool style, from a cow trough, and now God's provided us with a baby pool. Amen, y'all. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, baby. Well, we got to brag on God last week. We were praying for about two months as a church together, specifically for three things to happen on Easter. And uh, just so you all know, all three of those things happened. We prayed that we'd have 250 kids in kids ministry. We had like 275, 280, something like that. We prayed that we, yeah, awesome, right? Next, like, they're not the next generation. They are the, they are the church now. But um, we prayed that we would have 1,000 people over six services four service times, but six really total services, and we had just a hair over a thousand people show up, man. Isn't that awesome? It's crazy. And uh, then we prayed that, you know, there'd be 50 people that would show up that weekend that needed a new relationship with Jesus that would put their trust for the first time ever in Jesus, and we had 53 people at our best count. We, we honestly couldn't count that good in a couple of services because so many hands went up. 53 people put their trust in Jesus. Amen, y'all. Isn't that awesome? That's what it's all about. So God is so good. And I just got to brag, man. We, we've, we've been growing like crazy, and we're, we're, we're looking for a bigger venue, but there's really not one in town we can do church in. And we had to start two video venues uh, for Easter on uh, Easter morning at the theater. And in those video venues alone, we had four people give their life to Jesus in the video venues, man. Isn't that awesome? Like, I just think it's great because, like, God can use technology and God's word is alive, whether it's through a projector or whether it's live on the spot. Amen, y'all. I just think it's so cool, man, that God is moving like he's moving. Last week, I just want to tell you guys, no need to turn the lights off or anything. Let me tell you, my little son has been uh, uh, started baseball this week. He's four years old, about to be five years old. And I found this video on YouTube of a kid that got his first hit ever in a game. And it pretty much describes how I feel about Easter weekend last weekend and this weekend. So go ahead and fire that, please, Stacy. This is me right now, okay? Look at this kid. First hit ever. Look at him. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that, man. You know? Shoot it again, Stacy. It's just too good. Just to everybody stand up. Let's just do that. Everybody stand up and let's get a little stand up now. Come on, y'all. Don't be negative. You know, this is yeah, we at church, baby. We're at church, baby. Get it, you know, from the mouth of babes. Yeah, go ahead and sit down. Gosh, man, I'm so stoked right now. I'm about to lose my mind. I think this man has lost his mind. Well, he's, he's enthusiastic, and I would be excited if I had that kind of church attendance. That's a good thing. And recognizing prayer and being specific in prayer, I think those, that's a valuable thing. And that's, and that's something we can learn from, you know, to pray for very specific things and then see how he is, how God is answering those prayers. But we are also stumbling a little bit into a evangelical or even business-minded approach to church. How it, so? What's the numbers game, right? Mm -hmm. It is hard to assess the church based on numbers alone. There's a lot of 
things that bring people to a church, especially a church that's as entertainment focused as this one seems to be, I mean, showing YouTube videos and such during the sermon, that you just can't place your your, your hope on that. But God bless it. I mean, if, if people are coming to faith through what they're proclaiming, amen. I mean, that's a good thing. Um, I think the challenge is, and I've mentioned this before, is that you have this emotional moment. It's Easter. It's exciting. And this guy, if I'm understanding who he is correctly, he's revving that up. Based on everything he said right now, he is 100% engaging these people emotionally. He hasn't said anything worth thinking about yet. And so he's engaging their emotions. And, you know, this guy's getting up there and talking to you about about giving your life over to Christ, just trusting him and seeing that. Uh, lots of people can be drawn into it in that moment, but do they endure past that moment? And the number of people that persevere in the faith from these kinds of things isn't anything that would excite you. This is the challenge of an emotionally charged call to the altar. But if the Holy Spirit's working through that he's working through it and and he can he can call people to faith despite lots of less than ideal circumstances so uh, more power to him i did like how he said we're doing church not worshiping doing church again that's a casualness but it's also i think just poorly thought out what is doing church well i guess first off it implies that they're the ones doing it instead of god coming and serving us of course that's why we call the divine service the divine service god serves us he he brings his forgiveness and and lays it right in front of us in the water, in the word, in the bread and the wine. That's much more important than us doing church. He's coming and, and serving us. Well, this is uh, this guy's enthusiastic, though. Let's give him that, at least. I mean, God is just doing amazing things. Amen, y'all. It's okay to have a little fun in church. Amen. We know you're going to keep playing that the whole time I'm preaching, right? So, man, that's how excited I am, though, man. And, and y'all are fired up right now. And guys, I, I just, Pastor Bob said something that really spoke to me uh, this week. And really, he said it to the staff. And I've been saying our church is in revival. And he's like, no, it's not. Because to, in order to be revived, you had to be dead first. And like, that's not, revo man, revolution. You guys, I just thank God to be the pastor here. And I'm so excited about what God's doing right now. It's just utterly amazing to see what he's doing. Now, today... We're going to talk about a specific subject. And uh, if you're going to listen to me today, say, yeah, buddy. Okay, if somebody next to you didn't say, yeah, buddy, just go ahead and elbow him right now. Just a big granny elbow, boom, right there, okay? This is what amazes me about the contemporary American evangelical church. If any of these folks were to step in your Lutheran church or this Lutheran church, there's give and take. There's the celebrant who says, something and the people respond. That's exactly what's happening here. Yes, it's coarse. It has no bearing on the service itself, God or anything. But there's still this back and forth that if they came into your church and saw the back and forth, they would say, oh, the Holy Spirit's not in that. Because it's too formal. I mean, I've heard this said, oh, I don't, I don't feel the Spirit moving in this place. Oh, well... What, what's, how do you know when the Spirit's moving? Uh, what's the say, answer? They don't know. They just know it when they feel it. Uh, and well, I, there's the answer. Yeah. They're waiting on a feeling. Well, exactly. And so, and he's got them. I, I can't even, I don't even want to refer to them as a congregation because he's already put me in the mindset that this is a crowd mm. that he's just working up. Because I'm usually pretty conscientious to call it the congregation, but 
I, I feel like it's a crowd and he's just hyping them. He's trying to keep them at this level of engagement, which um, substitutes for whatever. I mean, what for spirituality? Well, well, substitutes for the truth. Yeah, but you're saying engagement. I'm thinking hype. Well, right. I mean, engagement in the same way a movie keeps you engaged by putting explosions on the screen or something. It's it's mindless, but you are engaged with it in that kind of reptile brain sort of way. <laughs> Instead of, wow, oh, he's saying something actually. So, I mean, he has yet to say anything significant. One thing I appreciate about Lutheran churches is that we do have longevity, generational extension. I have elderly people and I have young people and in, wor- in worship, they come together as a body. And in some evangelical churches, there's not as much of that. It's really neat to me to be in a church that's, that's bigger than me as a pastor. Uh, I came to Calvary eight months ago, and that church thrived under pastoral care from other pastors. It thrived under God's care for a long time without me. And it'll thrive under, under God's care for a long time to come without me as well. I think that puts you in the proper mindset as a pastor. Sure it right? does. I don't make this church happen. No. All I can do is be faithful. Exactly. And all these non-denominational churches in America that are built on personalities, when that personality either A, dies, B, moves away, C, does something immoral, that congregation was was made, created by that personality. And once that personality is gone... It takes such a major blow. One of the best examples I can think of is the Crystal Cathedral. They transitioned and... Uh, well, they transitioned to the sun. My understanding is that the sun was actually more biblically based. Correct. And they didn't like it. Correct. Which, which is interesting. Uh, then the daughter... And now, amazingly, the Crystal Cathedral is an actual Catholic church. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh, it's so strange to me that that happened. Yeah, You do see it every once in a while. I mean, there are obviously... Baptist churches that have survived past their first pastor. Sure. But it seems like a rarer thing. And sometimes they have to, they bring in a new pastor that, that revitalizes them, right? Like somehow they were stagnant in, in some kind of sense. Obviously he felt it enough that he would mention it in the sermon. And then um, they come in and they give him that, that little boost. But again, from the numbers that I've seen, there's this it seems to be there's this group of christian always kind of chasing after the next hot thing and you know 10 20 years down the road when your church isn't cutting the mustard anymore they'll they'll move on right to the next hot thing there's going to be another church in town that's going to be getting started and it is exciting to get in on the ground floor of something it's a little boring to be a part of the church that has always been the church and have to deal with myrtle who's real insistent that we keep this you know, picture or something up on the wall, even though you think maybe the church would do better without it. You know, but you learn to love that too, because they're like, well, this is, I mean, especially as a pastor, I'm like, well, these are, this is the flock God gave me. And there's, there's challenges there, but God loves them and I love them too. And you learn to love them. Today, man, I want you to know, uh, I've been pastoring now for about two and a half, three years. I've been in ministry for almost 10 years. And the message today, I really feel like God wants every single person in here to hear. What do you think about that? I mean, I know it's just empty words to kind of draw attention in, but you're actually undercutting every other sermon you've preached. I think, well, first off, it's based on his own thoughts, Mm -hmm. but I think God really wants you to hear this today. 
well, if, if you didn't think that, why, why even get up there? Or is it more important than the message that you preached uh, in, in the previous weeks? I always think that's just such a, it's such a poor way of thinking about this. And, and it's, it's, a, it's not a wise way to help draw attention and get people to focus out on your sermon. I prefer the yeah, buddy to this. My goodness. Because at least the yeah, buddy is, and it's, it's casual and it's sloppy, but it, it, at least it's not undercutting the word. As if every time I get in that pulpit, even if my sermon is not the best crafted thing in the world, that's on me. Mm-hmm. But God wants these people to hear that word. He gave it to us. And I am not in a position to start assessing whether they want to hear it or not. And, and part of that, too, is why, that's part of the reason why I try not to preach sermons that are very specific uh, in the congregation, you know, like the Mother's Day. So I'm just, I just want to talk to the mothers today. That reminds me, when you talk about specifics, it's not just uh, something like mothers. It's also when you use an analogy that only a handful of people will know about. Have you noticed this, that when you as the pastor think everybody has seen blank movie? Yeah. and But they haven't. No, and, and especially when you're in a generationally broad church, you have to be very cautious about those kinds of references. We make them anyway because it's part of human conversation, but they have to be very broad. Or you have to explain them at least a little bit, and hopefully you don't take too much time. Five minutes, ten minutes to explain what is supposed to be a simple analogy. But you're saying what he is saying here, it undermines all the other sermons he's ever preached, but yet it also makes people still, as you said earlier, kind of keeps them interested. Yes. He is continuing to keep them engaged. Obviously, that's his main concern at this point. It doesn't matter what I say as long as you are engaged with it and and feeling the feels through it will be good. Okay, now we're going to talk about baptism tonight. And as we talk about this, I'm just going to tell you straight up, up front, we are going to challenge every single person in here that has put their trust in Jesus, but has never been obedient with believers baptism that you need to get baptized. Uh, There may be people in here that feel like the Lord is telling you as a rededication to show that you are rededicating your life and putting your stamp on your life and saying, now I'm ready to do even more for God and you want to get rebaptized. We're cool with that too. But I think every person in here needs to hear this sermon. So if you view me as your pastor at all, if you are visiting for the first time and you really don't understand why you're here, but you know God has you here. If you've been visiting Revolution for a short time and you think that we're all crazy, and honestly, when you saw the pool, you thought I was going to dive into it as a sermon example or something like that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't put it past me, you know, but I want you to listen tonight. So if you're going to listen tonight, this is what we're going to do on the count of three. I want everybody in here to just give me, it's WrestleMania weekend, so I want you to give me a big, fat Ric Flair, woo, okay, on the count of three. Everybody do it, okay? One, two, three, woo. That's what we're going to do tonight. You look like you are in so much pain right now, Pastor Oakry. Because it's painful. I don't even, how far are we into this sermon? I mean, when did the sermon start? It hasn't. It hasn't yet started. He's still hyping them. This is, this is, I mean, right now, it's shameful. Preach the word, in season or out of season. Just shut up. I, I want this guy to shut up and start talking about something. 
because so far we haven't talked about anything. Well, I love it how you come in here and you you come in with such a magnanimous heart towards this evangelical guy. And you're like, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to put the best construction on it. I am going to be generous and loving. You're already in such pain. It's like some bully has taken your arm and is now putting it behind your back and pushing it further and further and further up towards your neck. He he and I have a very different understanding of the preaching task. Correct. He seems to believe that his role as a pastor is to excite this crowd. My job as a pastor when I preach is to proclaim God's word. And you would know it because I'm actually reading from scripture and quoting it and talking about the text. He has not talked about that at all yet. He's basically saying baptism is for everyone and it doesn't matter where. He's already showing this um, the showmanship again, right? Oh, I dive into that pool, you know I would. And the, the wrestling reference and all of that. Again, it's all just, this, is, this place is safe. We're never going to offend you. Right? I'm going to challenge you, but I'm never going to offend you. And, and he can't because they're the ones that have to come to the conclusion. And again, it's you've given your life to Christ. You've put your trust in Christ. It's all on you, but you haven't obeyed him when it comes to believer's baptism. So again, you trust him, but you're not obedient. It's all on you. And now I, it's my job to convince you to do it differently. And then the other part, and I despise this, this rebaptizing, rededicating, it's horrible. These people in the crowd, if they've been baptized but haven't been faithful in everything that they've done and perfect in every way, well, shouldn't they all have to be rededicated? Well, sure. But didn't the pastor say something to the extent of you want to be rededicated because you're really ready to do something big for God? Well, that's a good point, right? Because it's it's all of these things are used as a jumping off point for some kind of mission work or work in the church, which of course is com- completely ignorant of our vocation. Correct. Don't be a good parent or, or child or employee. You've got to give, you've got to do something in the church to really prove yourself to God. It's, it's this bizarre form of monasticism is what it is. Neo-monasticism. Yeah. Except, you know, it's at least monasticism had some standards about how you live. You know, here, here you just take a, a one-week trip to Costa Rica and you, you dig, dig a well. Dig a well. And, of course, the old joke is the, the, the people actually working there, they're just dig a well. And then the next group comes in and goes, oh, fill in that hole. And then the next group comes in, dig a well. Because they don't know what to do with these people. They're just like, look, they're, they're, just, they're just tourists. They're just mission tourists. We're actually trying to proclaim the Christ to these people, and they just want to dig a hole and feel good about themselves and go home. So he said, we're okay with that. If you want to be rebaptized, we're okay with that. So what is in his mind, I mean, dissecting, so to speak, his American evangelical mind, what you and I would think is what took place at one's baptism is what God did. What God did there at one's baptism, regardless of one's walk away from the Lord, it's still stuck. Yeah. It's still kept. Yeah. So now this individual is back in church, praise be to God. They're hearing the word, 
hopefully we'll get to it. But that is all still the work that God began in that person's baptism, not in the sense that they need to then go back into the waters of baptism. Well, what's going on in his mind is it is just an act of obedience, and if you want to be more obedient, it makes sense to go back to those waters because it is uh, a recommittal. But again, what it says is you're holding on to God and you're clasping his hand, and when you get rebaptized, you just get it a little bit firmer so he can pull you up. It's, it's just horrible thinking. And I was actually teaching a class today on revelations. And there's a lot of bad stuff happening in revelation and a lot of suffering that comes into uh, the world and into the church in revelation. And we so we talked about suffering a little bit. And it's easier for me to proclaim the hope of Christ to someone in death than it is to proclaim the hope of Christ to someone who's suffering. And I think suffering is this place where our faith really comes to life and, and you know, you're in the midst of suffering and you're just, you're, you're all you, all you have are the promises of God to hold on to in that moment. And that's when you're like, God's the one holding on to me. And that's what makes our baptism so precious that I can look at that and say, and there it is. You know, that is a, that is such beautiful imagery because as you have seen and I have seen pastoring specifically in the Lutheran church is that when you go and see your shut-ins, these are people that over time, things have been cut out of their life. Their spouse is dead. Their kids have walked away from the faith. Maybe even they're estranged to one another. Their mobility goes away. Being able to stand without getting dizzy, that goes away. Their friends have all died. Then they can't drive. Then they're not living in their own home. It's just this small cutting away, small cutting away, cutting away, cutting away. And the one thing that they have, that they've had their whole life, is the promises that God made to them in their baptism. Yeah, and that's amazing, and that's all they need. And, and to talk to a Christian who has that, it's a marvel. And when I talk to a Christian who has been stripped down like that, and mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing I talk about, how the world strips us of the good things of this life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this life does have good things, but at the end, it's, they're all gone. And see a person stripped, but with hope and joy in Christ. Not that they've worked up in themselves, because they're not in a place where they could. But to simply know, God's got a hold of me, even now. And he loves me, even now, when I'm, when I'm at my absolute worst. That's what being a Christian is about. Even though we die, yet shall we live. Amen. I want to talk to you, if you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 22. Turn on your iPad, turn on your phone, go to Acts chapter 22. Want to look at the conversion story of a guy we've all heard of, even if you're not like a church person, okay? Uh, Even if you're in the video venue right now and you got drugged to church and you're watching me on the screen or you're watching online or whatever with your dog sitting next to you, you know who Paul is. And so tonight we're going to take a look at the conversion story of Paul and specifically uh, what happens with Paul as it pertains to baptism. In Acts chapter 22, verse 14, we do have the scripture for the screen. It says this. This is after uh, Paul has been saved and he's talking to this guy named Ananias. It says, then he told me, this is Paul speaking, Ananias told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear him speak. And I want to tell every single person in here, 
that God wants you to know his will for your life. God wants to speak in your life. Absolutely, no doubt whatsoever, every single person in here has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And he wants you to know that and he wants to speak to you. It's always tricky to take a specific example out of uh, scripture and then uh, apply that universally to every Christian. And I feel like that's a place where we're at here now. It's this bubbling, this emotional feeling that you have and that you have to hold on to because it's up to you. I mean, that gives the drive behind everything he's doing here. As long as I can keep him in this elevated state, the Holy Spirit is working because, I mean, that is the sacrament, I guess. Getting wet's too bland. Bread and wine, eh, you know, we don't even drink wine. I get out the grape juice. And, and the word itself, does God want you to know his will? I agree with that statement. I don't think, I don't agree with, I think, where he's going with it, which is that God has some kind of special mission for each and every one of you, which actually winds up being the same mission. Go out and bring more people into this church so it can get bigger. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and what's his will? His will is that we belong to him and live with him in heaven. That is his will. And it's like, that's, that's like the least controversial thing to say, but that's not what those people are here to hear. They, they want to hear... God has a plan for you. It's, it's like we're, we're just nudging up to the line of like prosperity gospel stuff. He's, he's saying like God has a special will for you. He has a special plan for you. And, and yeah, we're all going to be in it together. Like we're in the same boat, but we're not like those other Christians. And, and again, that's not as generous as it could be towards him. But that's the sense I'm getting a special will, a special call. We're going to sort this out. Well, and the way to get the special will is to be baptized? I mean, is this where is this why he's well, bringing that up? Uh, we will see. I just think it's very interesting because the special will that God had for Saul was to see the righteous one, which he already had. That wasn't anything he was going to do. It's something he already had done. Pretty freaked out by that. Yeah, and to hear a voice from his mouth, which is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, it was, it was pretty harsh law that he heard from the mouth of that Savior. Well, it's interesting to say that that's, we should be chasing after what Saul received. Because what Saul received, he didn't even try to give to anybody else. He's like, almost like, you don't want what I went through. God is working through much better means of bringing people. Like, I, I, needed, a, I needed help. <laughs> and, and, God had a, and God does that. God intervenes in special ways sometimes, and that's fine. But to think that you're not special enough because you came to faith through normal means, right, of just going to church as a kid. And you get to that place, right? We've, we've talked about testimonies and like, oh, I just grew up in the church my whole life. I mean, even from a Baptist perspective, right? I, I, I got baptized when I was seven or eight or 10 or whatever. And I've just always been in the church. That's not what they want at all. It has to be this, this newness. And, and it has to be more like Saul. But then verse 15, he says, for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And then verse 16, what are you waiting for? Everybody, let's say that sentence together. You ready? One, two, three. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. 
you reacted like I did when I first heard that. I thought, my goodness, at least he read it that the forgiveness of sins is directly associated with water baptism. Most guys do not do that. They go to the Ethiopian eunuch, where it doesn't really talk about the forgiveness of sins. They don't really talk about Acts 2.38 that talks about receiving the Holy Spirit and one having the forgiveness of their sins. This guy read that, but yet it won't register with him. He won't pick that back up. Or Maybe I might be wrong. He might reference it one more time. But for the most part, why doesn't the evangelical see that this is God distributing what took place on the cross to you through holy baptism? It is the word combined with the water. Why can't they see it? Well, I think it's clear, even just from what he's already said, it has to be believer's baptism. It's about your obedience. He assumes all that. He's not even trying to make an argument for that. He's just saying, this is where we're at. And so with that assumed, just skip along. This is kind of the closing to an incredible story of how a man named Paul met Jesus and put his trust in Jesus. Paul is on the Damascus Road earlier in this chapter, and and he sees a bright light and it blinds him. And he's, he's speaking to Jesus after he has this encounter with Jesus. And he says, who are you, Lord? What do I do now? I'd like to tell every single person that's sitting in here, maybe you're visiting Revolution Church for the second time because you came last week. Maybe you come to Revolution Church every once in a while when you're feeling bad. Maybe this is your first time at Revolution Church. We don't want to pull no wool over your eyes. We want you to know that we are praying tonight that this weekend, This weekend, today, at Revolution Church, that you would have an encounter with Jesus like no encounter with him you have ever had, much like Paul. Paul was a guy who was the worst of the worst, and he has an encounter with Jesus that completely transforms and changes his life. Because, see, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, one, one scholar said that it's like having a knife put to your heart. Man, it changes you completely. Doesn't a knife through the heart kill you? Right. And my first thought was, that's exactly what the law of God does. Yeah. It kills you. There's no making alive from that. I mean, it's just a knife in the heart. You're dead. Right. I mean, I don't have a problem with what the theologian says. I mean, I would say that the theme of the Bible is death and resurrection. Yeah. So the law kills. It's the gospel that makes alive. I have the problem with what he said just before that about how because Paul had this incredibly unique, one-of-a-kind experience with the Lord, then you should be having a -a one-of-a-kind experience with the Lord. So you're taking a descriptive text, a text that's just describing the actual event, and then turning it to make it then prescriptive, in that this is the way that it should happen for every individual. Right. Why don't we do this with Moses in the burning bush? Why don't we do this with Elijah? Being the, caught up and, and in ca- the chariots. Caught of, up in the chariot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, those were deeply unique things, but we're not, we don't want those. God struck Paul blind. You, you know, are you, you not signing are you, up for that? Are you going to mention that to them? I want you to have an encounter where God is 
is calling you to account for your sins at such a level that he literally makes you blind so that you understand how lost you are. But again, it's not, it's, see, he, and so far, he hasn't talked about sin. He's talked about obedience, which is a safer place. If you actually talked about their sins and that they're dead and their trespasses, I wonder what the uh, response would be. But now it's just about, oh, Saul was disobedient and now he's obedient. And it makes it sound so easy. Quit being a bad kid and be a good kid. That's not how sin works. Sin is a cancer that has invaded every cell of my body. I can't just be like, oh, I'll be a good kid today. But that's exactly what he's selling. And I guess Jesus even from this analogy, is is just a helper. No, I, I really, really want you to be good. And to sweeten the deal, I have a special plan for you. I, w- I will be shocked if he talks about him being blind, blinded in this encounter. Because that's... You, you won't be shocked because that, uh, it's not going to happen. Right, because he wants to talk about the shock and awe because that's that gets feelings feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to talk about the actual consequences of this actual conversion event. Which, like, we, and this is how we talk about it. What, what, are, what are our three conditions? I'm blind, I'm dead, I'm an enemy of God. And Saul is literally struck blind to, so that he can understand his spiritual condition. And he's, his sight is restored uh, under the ministration of a pastor, uh, at least a pastor figure in this, in this case. I, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to say exactly what Ananias is in, formally. And but, then, it, but he might be a local pastor there in Damascus. Oh, sure. I, I mean, I, that, in fact, it's actually likely. I mean, uh, and so let's, so he was taken care of pastorally by Ananias. And because then, Ananias and, does baptize him. Yeah. And then his sight is restored because he's transitioned from death into life, from blindness into sight, from being an enemy to being of the family of God. But to make that into just an enthusiasm thing, oh, it's so strange. Paul would later lose his eyesight. Right, because of his big hands. Mm -hmm. I I had somebody say that was because uh, maybe when he was uh, stoned, that damaged his eyes. Yeah. I'm told as much. I've read about a a possible fever. This is why he had Luke with him, the doctor. You know, he has uh, got a fever in one of the missionary journeys. I don't know how they come up with this stuff. But, uh, But, I mean, interesting. I I do like those personal touches. Like, look, I'm writing this with my own hand. You can get it like this. Look how big my letters are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a neat little touch that you you get those human touches where you're like, this isn't just some person who's making garbage up because who would do that? Right. right? Like you you wouldn't have the forethought to do that anyway. Something you said in the last podcast that really got me thinking is lovely. And you were talking about how you begin your day by making the sign of the cross, which is a way to remember your baptism. You pray the Lord's Prayer. You pray Luther's morning prayer. And you go about your day to say, I am going to fulfill my vocation, love God, love my neighbor. Right? I don't need this special revelation from God as to what to do. Pretty much know what to do and how you blow it throughout the day. Numerous times, you lay your head on your pillow at night, you make the sign of the cross, remembering your baptism, remembering that the old man was killed in those waters. You say the Lord's Prayer, you pray Luther's evening prayer, and you go to sleep. Yeah. Your day is bookended by remembering what took place in your baptism, living that out. Whereas this guy is making it sound like 
almost like an oil change on your car and it's only going to last for so long and for some of you it's been a really really long time since you've had your oil change i don't even i don't even have a simile i actually think it's he views it as a jump start uh you get the little jolt right and now you're and now you're busy doing so it's a monster energy drink uh yeah i mean five hour energy i i don't even think it's it's that sustainable in his mind you get the baptized, you get the obedience, and you go. And now you're doing, doing, doing. And you only need to come back to baptism if the doing, 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 you start winding down. You need right. another little jolt. He doesn't have any concept of baptismal life. No. And this is something I've been growing an appreciation of more and more, is just how much our baptism touches everything. And, and it's exactly like you said, how it both challenges us and comforts us simultaneously. But you're absolutely right. My baptismal life is not me doing, doing, doing. It's me remembering. It's like God is bringing back to me everything that he's done, and that's that's the truth I live my life in. It's the vine and the branch, right? I, the branch doesn't live apart from the vine. The vine life flows into him, and that's that's me remembering my baptism, saying this day, just like every other day, I am connected to Christ. His death and his resurrection are mine. But that thought— Right there, what you just said is so much more comforting, assuring. It is so truthful. I mean, everything about what you just said, you can hang your life on that. You can't hang your life on this. Well, you can in the most awful way possible, and it's it's the treadmill. You're running, 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 and you're not getting anywhere because it's, again, if it's just a jolt of energy to get you moving, then you're the one who's doing the moving, which is exactly what he's saying. And you either g- become prideful or you become despairing because you're like, I can make it to the end of this race or there's no way I'm going to make it, so I might as well give up. And I always like to use this analogy. You line up all the people in the world and tell them to swim across the Atlantic Ocean from New York to London. Can't do it. You know, some people are going to make it. Some people are going to say, that's stupid. No, and they're probably the smartest ones. <laughs> Um, and some of them are going to get out of ways and they're going to drown. But even the person that swam the farthest, they're still going to drown. They're just as dead. Do they get a special prize for dr- for dying sooner out out there? No. And so th- I, I call this uh, the evangelical treadmill. God gave you the jolt. Now you got to run. But and just like we said about how we get stripped down, mm-hmm. you're going to run out of uh, you're going to run out of this stuff eventually. And it, it reminds me of of you saying that you know in your evangelical days, when you went to the hospital, it was just for babies. Deliveries. Right, because, I mean, that's positive and upbeat, and that's good. Who took care of, like, the dying elderly old lady in the congregation? The elderly dying doesn't fit with the treadmill. No. And you just kind of say, well, they're dying, and there's they can't really do anything for the church, so what What am I, I can't, I'm not going to put my energy into them. Where, where, does, where does the, you know, retired Fred fit into your grand scheme of things. What's God's plan for the 90-year-old lady who's bedridden? What's his special will for her? And that's the problem of this special will stuff. I want you to have the same encounter with God that Saul had. Okay, barring the fact that the encounter with Saul wasn't what we should want. The the fact that you want something special for people, it just it cuts people out of the picture. Sure. That's a that's a that's a thing you say to young active people whose lives are pretty much going what do you say to the new mother i mean instead of your vocation being 
getting up and uh, breastfeeding this child and taking care of him or her and their poopy diapers. Yeah. What mom, after however many months of that, not even having an adult conversation, not even getting out of her bathrobe, she thinks to herself, and God's got to have something better for me than this. Well, exactly, because... And then you hear this sermon and you think... God's got something better for me than this. Or the homeschool mom who's got four or five kids that she's homeschooling, or yada, yada, yada. And this is true because you hear people say this. I know God doesn't want me to stay married to this boring jerk. He wants me to go off with this hot young thing at the bar because that's his special revelation. That's obviously a special will because, I mean, he's working a bunch of enthusiasm. And being married and having kids... There are there are joys in those things. Sure. But you're not most days just being like, Yeah, yeah, buddy. <laughs> that's that's not where you're at. It's it's a completely different thing. And it's and it's so much better and it's so much more grounded and real. And where does that draw you to? What does your baptismal life draw you into? You you said it that we know what we're supposed to be, and it's in the table of duties mm-hmm. in the catechism. Mm-hmm. And and that's I mean, that's the joy of the catechism, is the catechism wakes you up to these things we that's all that's not going to change the world right and god already changed the world that's the thing <laughs> jesus christ changed the world in fact he changed more than the world he changed heaven and earth and so let's let god handle the world and and then you handle the little slice that he has given over to you that he's still working and moving through he is changing the world through you but he's changing it in the people that he's put most immediately in your life So we're praying that you have an encounter much like Paul. And so Paul goes through this. He puts his trust in Christ. And then I want you to notice this about one of the greatest men in the New Testament. One of the greatest men in the New Testament, I believe, is hesitant about his first step of obedience to God and is hesitant about being baptized. Well, my goodness, he believes it. It doesn't matter what you think or what you're getting ready to say right now, Pastor Oakry, because he believes it, that Paul was hesitant about this first step of obedience. And then, of course, he kind of closed the loop there, showed his cards by saying that he wants everybody to have an experience with God. And as you said earlier, uh, he was struck blind for three days. He doesn't mention doesn't mention any of that. I mean, there's so much packed into that little statement right there. How do you be, even begin to unpack it? So he's basing this all off of 22.16 in my version, and now why do you wait uh, in his what are you waiting for? Which if he gave it a title, that's what he would call this message. Yeah, now why do you wait? And, but it doesn't say that he hesitated or anything. It was, no. It was an admonition. Like, but he believes it. Well, that's reading too much into the text to say that he was hesitant that to take this step. His whole premise is flawed anyway because he said Saul chose to follow Christ. Mm -hmm. That is not what is said at all. This is what he actually read. The God of our fathers appointed you. You were already chosen, Saul. your, Your vote didn't matter because the God of our fathers had said, you're the guy. And... Going back to Acts 9, where the actual conversion uh, is told in Acts, this is Paul's recounting in 22. This is, this is uh, the Lord talking to Ananias to go and talk to, to Saul, who 
Ananias is reluctant to talk to because he's like, um, oh, you mean the guy that's been persecuting Christians? I don't really want to. And he goes, ah, don't worry, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's what he's been chosen for. Right? He's been chosen as a missionary. And, and again, this is, well, this is a very evangelical kind of Baptist mindset. We, we are all chosen for this mission, which in a way, I mean, we're, we, we're all supposed to share Christ. I get that. But it is foolishness to say that we're all chosen to share Christ in the way that Saul come Paul did. And that's a, that was a very special and specific calling that he was given. And, and a lot of it was based on his, uh, the fact that he was a Greek Jew. Highly educated. Highly educated, knew his, knew his Bible backwards and forwards, uh, and could communicate effectively with the Greek-speaking world. Yeah, he was chosen for, for those reasons, and, and also because God just chose him. I mean, that's, I understand that too. But to kind of put that all, all that burden onto us, exactly. I mean, that, that'll crush, that'll, that it, crushes me. Correct. And, and, it, and you don't even believe it, and it crushes you. Well, I know. And, and it's, it's just like, I, I'm not worthy of this burden, um, or I, I'm not worthy to live up to this burden. I can't, I can't do it. I, I, I have a hard time telling the, the barista at Starbucks that Jesus loves her because I think she, you know, she'll think I'm a, a weirdo or something, you know. And this is all it is. It's it's kind of like this subtle guilt. God has a plan for you. Mm-hmm. If only you would stop being so scared, or so lazy, or so whatever. That's what it always turns into. The world would basically be perfect right now if you weren't just such a lazy bum. Mm. Well, he's going to say the reason that people don't get baptized is because of confusion, which I think is incredibly ironic because all he's preaching regarding baptism is confusion. So people are confused. That's one reason why they don't get baptized. And the other reason they don't get baptized is because of pride. Ananias has to look at Paul and say, what are you waiting for? Man, why are you sitting around? Get up and be baptized now. You guys know that baptism, you saw in the opening video that baptism, what we believe here at Revolution Church, we want to make sure you understand this because there are all kinds of different denominations that believe all kinds of different things. We don't believe baptism is a part of your salvation. Baptism is not a thing where you accept Christ and put your trust in him and then you have to get baptized. It's not Jesus plus baptism. Jesus finished everything on the cross for your sins. So when you put your trust in him, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. We understand that God is working in the sacrament and they don't see God working in the sacrament. And, and so if it's their obedience, and, and I say baptism now saves you, they're like, my obedience saves me? Don't do it. Yeah, and understanding that, that difference between an ordinance, which is what the Baptist would call it, and a sacrament is fundamental to open up this line of communication. Agreed. In my mind, the way around it is to say, well, you heard the, you heard the gospel and you believed it. Was that a human act? You hearing it? It was it was read to you by a human, right? Then to say, well, if it was read to you by a human, then it was a human act, and 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 a human act saves you. But that's a hard that's a that's a more challenging leap for them to make because it's easier to kind of uh, what do I say spiritualize hear, hearing 
than it is to spiritualize actually water being poured on you, which is why baptism is so vital and important because you, it's, you can't over-spiritualize or you can't over-internalize it. It's external. And that's actually the wonder of baptism, which is the same thing, the wonder of the Lord's Supper, is it's external to me. It's not about me. Well, even the word of God coming to you is external. Well, exactly. But because they hear it and they process it in their brain, they think it's an internal thing. Right. And so that's how that's how they make it more abstract. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. And, of course, he just hacked, right, because he said it the first time, but he's, he's probably never going to say it again. Rise and be baptized, period. And wash away your sins. And if anything, that has to be Ananias' urgency. Right. To to say, I want you to b- receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want your sins to be forgiven. I want you to be a Christian. Right. Well, and- think about the sin. The sin is persecuting Christ. That's the sin. Yeah. I'm sure there's more sins, but I mean, the, the one that was most blindingly put before him and heard in his ears was, why are you persecuting me? And so when he says, rise and be baptized, to think that I can be forgiven of this sin of persecuting Christ, there's no hesitancy there. Rise and receive this wonderful gift. Rise and, 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 and enjoy. You know, it's, 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 it's such a weird thing to assume that it was hesitancy that led to him calling. I, I assume it was just the joy of knowing that Christ was right here, ready to forgive. Right. And, the and, same Christ who is here ready to forgive is the same Christ three days forward that was ready to squash you like a zit on prom night. Exactly. This was your judge who was standing before you just three days ago. Yeah. And and he wasn't he wasn't very pleased with you and what you were doing. And yet now he is here graciously saying, my judgment isn't the final word here. The cross is real and it's for you. Oh, and, and how much better is that than whatever road he's taking us down, which is all about me, 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 me. Baptism is an outward profession of putting your trust in Christ. It is the first step after you put your trust in Jesus of obedience and listening to him telling you what to do. It is saying to everyone in the world, I live for the king now, the king of kings, not LeBron James, okay? We're talking about the king of kings, Jesus Christ. We believe here at this church that as the word baptism means to be immersed, that that you need to be immersed in water to be baptized. And that just makes it so much more hard and messy, doesn't it? And wouldn't it just be easier if we believed that it was a sprinkle on the head? Now, if you've been sprinkled on the head, we're not hating on you. We're not like you're going to hell. You've been sprinkled on the head, okay? We don't believe here that when you were a child and you got baptized, like when you were a baby that's just been born and you're christened or you're baptized, that that is salvation being imparted on you. No, 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 no. Make absolutely no mistake about it. At some point in your life, you're going to have to come to a realization of who Jesus is to you. And you've got to make a decision when you have that encounter with him, like Paul did, who is Jesus? Is he my savior Am I going to put my trust in him or is he not? I mean, it is just straight up Baptist theology. I mean, this is exactly what we were taught in seminary about what Baptists believe. So, I mean, it's I guess it's good to know that he's staying on course. All non-denominational churches are Baptist churches. Yeah. Some of them have some Pentecostal. Oh, sure. But sure. yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, the doctrine is going to be Baptist. Yeah. Even though you'll never hear a non-denom say that. Right. No. 
Okay, baptism is not salvation. It's, it's your obedience. And, and what he's done is he's put this hard wall between my salvation, which is God's doing. And I, Baptists are, are decent at that, right? It's God, Jesus Christ died on the cross. And Baptists are good about you being a sinner. Yes, absolutely. It's this obedience thing and this hard wall. And I guess my question is, if my baptism doesn't have anything to do with my salvation, it's just about my obedience. If I don't have to be baptized to be saved. Then why then, do it? Then, then yeah, why can't I just say, well, I can be obedient to God in other ways. I think it comes down to this thing where like, well, do, do you really trust? Did you really decide? Because if you won't do this. And so it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation except it proves to me that you're taking this seriously. If you had a bath when you were a baby, that's great. Okay, that's awesome. I, I hope it's like one of America's Funniest Home Videos where you peed all over the priest. Okay, you know what I'm saying? I thought that was funny. You guys were like, okay, great. Okay, religious crowd on Saturday night. That's weird. Okay, yeah. That did nothing for you because at some point you've got to make a decision. Okay, let's set aside the reference to the Funniest Home Videos. Did you hear what he just said? He said that if you were baptized as a baby, that did nothing for you because you did not make a decision of your own free will to accept Jesus. He didn't say those things, but that's that's what he's it, that's how he rolls. It, it's all wrapped up in that burrito, yeah. No, I mean, ugh, it's uh, that did nothing. When were you baptized? When were you baptized, well, Pastor Oakry? I mean, I guess I haven't been, strictly speaking. Right. From because, this guy's opinion. Right. Because what happened to I just, you— I just took a bath. In fact, that's what he said, right? You got wet. You took a bath. You, you went for a swim. I hope you got a video of it. Yeah. And I hope it was funny. And at least the at least the, the congregation there had the—they were more pious than he was about the whole right. thing. He was a little shocked that you, you don't think this is funny here. But let's set that aside for okay, a second. Okay, okay, What Jesus did on the cross, could you imagine somebody saying that what Jesus bled and suffered for and died for— didn't didn't really matter. Well, right, but he doesn't see any of that being connected in baptism because they he doesn't recognize the delivery of it. Correct. Right, and and so again, the question for me is, where does he think I find Jesus? Where do I find him? You I, find him in your heart or between your ears. Okay, it's and, and, all subjective, and and it's all about me hearing the word or a testimony or a song. I mean, what's delivering the stuff to my heart and my ears? I think those, well, I mean, as you and I would say, it's the Holy Spirit delivering these things. Right, and he would say ears. the same thing, but he's saying the Holy Spirit is working, he, he would, the Holy Spirit's not working through baptism, according to this guy. No. So where, what is the Holy Spirit working through? I mean, you made a really good insight in my mind that if you don't have the sacraments, the, the things that the Bible actually points to, the Bible and the Lord's Supper, you're going to make up your own. Right. And in the previous one, we said it was the music. Music. Mm -hmm. And it was the, the Testimony. testimonial. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that, that are working. And mm -hmm. this is important for us to say because this is why what this guy is teaching is deadly. It's not Jesus and baptism. He's very clear about that. How do they get around it? But it is Jesus and my decision. How do they not? How do they not? Well, again, that's a new sacrament. Well, right. So and and so the decision is a sacrament too, and it's the decision is a is a heart thing and a head thing, right? And and kind of an interrelation between the two. And so it's again, it's that emotional thing. No, I I want this, I want this in my life. 
I, I just I, I think it's so strange that in one breath he can say, look, Jesus Christ did it all on the cross, but baptism means nothing. It all comes down to your decision. I mean, mm-hmm. that's literally what he just said. I'm like, if it all comes down to my decision, then you just took Jesus out of the picture. I, and I don't understand how that that mental loop closes in in this in in the theological mind that believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my forgiveness and that's why I can't give baptism room to do anything but my decision is actually what matters to add to that what's shocking to me as I process what he's saying he is calling god a liar yeah he doesn't think that of course not he thinks and i mean i don't cuz he won't address it Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. I wish he would at least give me a minute on why it would say that in the Bible if this is just an act of obedience. Or baptism now saves you. Right. Or anything else. I mean, the Bible, the baptism is is always more than just a symbol. In fact, nowhere does it say this is an outward sign of your of your inner co- commitment to mm-hmm. Christ or anything like that. And once again, we need to come back to Paul. Paul didn't make a decision. Jesus did. Jesus said, he's my chosen instrument. Paul didn't say, oh, he's my chosen savior. That's not Paul didn't of, say, I want to change the world. No, or, or yeah, or he, he didn't even say, I want to believe in Jesus. Jesus said, Saul, you don't have a choice. Here I am, and you're going, and I actually don't care. <laughs> you're going. And even though I got your attention in a special way, the goods are going to be delivered to you the exact same way that they're delivered to everybody else. And isn't that astounding? That Saul, who had this intimate and personal encounter with Christ, still goes to baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is an outward sign. But you know what, man? As I give all these examples about what baptism is, I understand that for a lot of people sitting in this room, a lot of people today, a lot of people that are at Revolution Church, you know what baptism was like for you? Um, cue that, don't turn the lights off, but let's just show that video there, Stacy. Here, here, here's baptism for most people, what it's like. Go ahead. <laughs> I just think that's great. He thought it was a puddle, and he jumped in, and it went all the way, you know? And that's what baptism is for a lot of people, because there's so many different views on it. You're confused. I mean, your church made you do it. You you, 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 I don't know, it's just, it's just this big confusing thing. You're kind of forced into it when you were young. It wasn't really your decision. You know what I'm saying? That guy didn't want to be in that water up to his head. You know what I mean? And that's for a lot of people. For me, that was baptism. I remember getting baptized and thinking, man, what, what, what is this? I don't really understand it. I just want to eat a cracker with everybody else and drink juice when they do communion, you know? Feel like an adult, get some presents from my grandparents for getting baptized. You know what I'm saying? I'm speaking truth, say amen. I wouldn't say amen. I would say, oh my. He's adding to the confusion because he doesn't stick to what the biblical text says baptism is. I do really dislike this approach to scripture, which is to use it as a springboard to kind of spout my own pious opinions. You've noticed that we have, at this point, left what little scripture we had completely behind. And this seems to be a recurring theme as we've gone through these sermons, is that they'll use 
one little snippet of scripture about baptism, and, and this one is is even worse than the previous one, at least that one they were going to an actual text that was about baptism as a gift to the church, the Great Commission. This is actually just a, an example of a baptism happening, and he's basing a lot of things on that. But now we're, we're past that now, and now he's just telling us. And it is deceitful in the extreme to talk about all the different opinions when he hasn't even sorted through them. Um, he's just saying, look, there's a bunch of thoughts out there, but here's the thing. But he, he has mocked if you were born, if you were baptized as a baby. Right. And so that's a really offensive thing, you know. But it's, again, this is dismissiveness. And we've talked about this a little bit, about how Lutherans, we, we take our theology seriously enough to know what our opponents say. And if you go through the confessions, it'll say, uh, as it talks about the positive position, it'll also say rejected is the, the position of the so-and-sos and the so-and-sos who hold this and that. And it, and it really brings a lot of clarity. And that's actually why you have a, a document like the confessions anyway, because it's, it's drawing a line and saying, this is where we stand. That's where the other people stand. And here's the difference between us. This is, the, this is our objection. And that's so useful. And, but sometimes as a pastor, I'll get into a discussion with somebody about baptism and I'll say, well, here's the Baptist view and here's the, you know, here's this view and that view. And, you know, the person, by the time I actually get started talking about the goodness of baptism, they're kind of glazed over because it's, it's all just a bit much. I do like the boldness of the Baptist kind of approach, which is to just be like, you got to be immersed. It's got to be a decision, and we're not talking about anything. We're not even going to give airtime to other views and why people might even have them. We're just going to say, here's the deal. Keep it simple, and, and let's bebop along. But it's deeply deceitful, I mean, that, and that's why we have to speak out against it. Very troubling that he's just so dismissive of the whole thing. But then also he talks a bit about how even when he was baptized, presumably as a child, with reason. And at that moment as a child, I'm sure he felt like he was choosing. And now he can even look back at that decision and say, no, that decision was done for lots of corrupt reasons. I wanted cookies and I wanted presents and I wanted to take the Lord's Supper. Right. And I wanted to be treated like an adult. And that's the problem. I mean, he's actually cutting his undercutting his own argument because that's the problem with our decisions. Every single decision you or I or any any human makes is going to be touched by sin. There's always going to be ulterior motives to what we do. And so we cannot rely on our decisions. We cannot rely on the purity and the commitment that we make because we don't stay committed. Our decision becomes less clear when you wake up in the morning. I mean, this is just human condition. Everybody understands that. And yet they're making you stake everything on this fleeting thing. Mm -hmm. And how can this not lead you to despair? Even my tears of repentance are tainted with sin. Yeah, it's true. Every Everything I do, that's kind of a downer to kind of address that and think, oh, but it's also a joy to be able to admit that. I can admit that everything I do in my life is touched by sin because it, it's not about me. <laughs> it's about Christ grabbing hold of me. And he is without sin, and his decision is steady, right? He is the unchanging one. He is the faithful one. When I have been unfaithful, he's faithful. It's just such a, it's a million times a better way to live than what this guy is offering up. It's kind of confusing. I think that so many times we wait on obedience with Jesus. 
I think we wait specifically on baptism, but whatever it is Jesus is telling you to do, I think we wait because we think we need to get right with God before we do it. You know what I mean? Like we think we have to we have to get right with God and my life's too messed up now. I'm having anger issues right now. Until I get over those, I'm not gonna do it. And I, I can't I can't do it until I clean my life up, until I until I, I break every single addiction that I have. And man, I just want to tell you, stop focusing on all the things blocking you from God and start focusing on the freedom found in Christ. Quit worrying about all that stuff the enemy heaps on you. If you think you need to clean up your act before you're getting baptized or being obedient to Jesus, you need to think again. Because the Bible says while we were still, what? Sinners. Let's do that one more time. While we were still, everybody in here is a sinner. We want to tell you that too. I said last week, and it was a really good line. I just kind of came up with it on the spot. You're jacked up from the feet up. You know what I'm saying? You're a sinner, and you're going to be a sinner. Like, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. There is no need to get your act together before you get baptized because we are saved by grace, and Jesus' blood has washed away our sins. Amen, Rev Church? Y'all got to get awake, man. This is why Baptists drive me crazy. Because we just waded through a sea of decision garbage, and now here we are, and he's telling us the truth. You are a sinner, and there's no waiting, and that's, a, that's so important to understand. And of course, and then he's like, and it's all about Jesus, and amen to all of that. But somehow, he has divided in his mind sin from my thoughts, as if somehow my brain and my thinking is purified and holy enough that maybe I am jacked up from the feet, feet up, up. Mm -hmm. but it hasn't affected my brain. And, and so you can still choose correctly. Yes. So and the so the jacked up stops about what? My chin? Maybe yeah. my nose? Yeah. Or, or maybe my neck? Well, right. Like that's why we have to be immersed all the way or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. well, and what it is is this, it's this subtle division between mind and body or spirit and body that is actually in the New Testament, it's a, it's a poison that keeps coming up that we don't appreciate our bodies, but we do think our minds are pretty, mm. pretty a-okay. And it's utterly stunning that he disconnects the mind and its ability to decide from sin. But this is helpful, and I think this should be helpful for the listeners. Like This is really the poison in the Baptist preaching that they'll talk about sin and they, will, they want us to be convicted of our sin but they still think that the mind has some divine spark in it, I guess, that, that lets you reach out to God. This and is what Nancy Pelosi said this week oh, regarding yeah, uh, right. Donald Trump's I've, comments I've, about uh, MS-13 gang members or what have you. Yeah, you know, but we have that and we can do it and we can reach out. No, we are blind and we are dead and we are enemies of God. And that, and that condition touches all of us, including our thoughts. And that's why baptism is so vital for us because it is God coming to us. And well, then on top of that, it's so beautiful in the third article of the creed, the explanation that is in the small catechism, where it just simply says right at the very beginning, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. That phrase applied to what we've just heard, like they, they don't agree. No, absolutely not. 
They are 100% incompatible. And, and this goes to show us that you can have kind of this robust image of sin and Jesus Christ's atonement, but if you don't understand the delivery of that and you don't understand the Holy Spirit coming and grabbing hold of you through word and sacrament, that you, you can still lose the plot in all of this and leave yourself exposed to unbelief. There's no need for that. You don't think about getting right. You be obedient to Jesus. Jesus makes us right with God, so there is no obstacle. Man, we come up with some obstacles, though, don't we? Let's just talk about baptism, and we're going somewhere in the greater scheme of being obedient to Jesus here. But let's just talk about baptism. There are people sitting in this room. I believe it with all my heart. There's people that are at every venue. You're watching online right now. And Jesus is telling you, we know without a shadow of a doubt, that you are supposed to be baptized. You're supposed to be obedient to God. But we come up with all these excuses. I'm embarrassed and I don't want to do it. Everybody's going to be looking at me. I didn't bring any clothes to get baptized in. I don't want to get wet. It's too cold. out. Hey, man, in the old days, man, they used to baptize people in creeks in the middle of winter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you like, you got, you like, you'd almost die from the flu. That's just how it was. But you were obedient to Jesus in baptism. I don't want to mess my hair up. You know, I don't have, I'm losing my hair to mess up. But you know what I'm saying? I don't want to mess my hair up. And you know what all those can be boiled down to? Pride. Every single one of those can be boiled down to pride. It's no different than people that are sitting in here right now. And you don't want to put your trust in Jesus and you don't want to get saved because you've got pride. There's people that are sitting in here right now that you know God's calling, you know God's working on, you know you're convicted, you know you feel terrible about your sin, you know that you're, you're bathing in sin daily, you know how messed up you are, but man, you've got all these excuses of why you can't put your trust in Jesus, and it all boils down to pride, to pride, to pride. I remember last year, about a year ago, we had a baptism, and uh, when we did this baptism, we've, we've baptized like over 200 people in two and a half years here at Revolution Church. And I'll never forget this one because it was probably one of the most powerful things I'd ever seen. Um, I think this couple has since moved from Crossville. We had a lady that came up front and we were doing baptisms at the theater outside. Spontaneously decided to get baptized on the spot. Wasn't ready, didn't have clothes, anything like that. She comes outside and as she's getting ready to get into the baptismal cow trough, because that's what we we had, you know, Man, this just moved me, man. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. EJ, you remember this? She takes her wig off and hands it to the person standing next to her and says, I don't know what the deal was. I don't know if it was chemo. I don't know if it was some, something going on. But I do remember her saying, I'm sorry, I don't have any hair, but Jesus is telling me to do this, and I have to do it. And we're saying... It'll be embarrassing. Oh, I just don't know if I want everybody looking at me. If that young lady can do that, what's your excuse? He is laying it on thick, isn't he? Yeah. This is classic. If X can do it, why can't you? And the inspiration, if Helen Keller could do it, why can't you? If 
You know, and of course, and biblically, you know, if David could do, if David could slay Goliath, why can't you? Well, if Jesus can carry his own cross up the hill, why can't you get baptized yeah. and be crucified on it nonetheless? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, so what we've transitioned to, right? Jesus Christ does it all. Let me guilt you mm-hmm. for a solid five minutes sure. about why you won't do it now. Oh, yeah, and he's not even done. I mean, well, I'm sure he's got more to share. It's just like it's a sign of your obedience, but it's a sign of your obedience that you really, really, really have to do. And I, I don't understand because they're like, it doesn't save you. It's just uh, you need to do it. And I still don't know what keeps the person in the congregation from saying, I give. I come to church. I'm I'm showing my obedience. I just don't want to do this. And I mean, other than God's command, of course, and and and. We do leave space for that. Part of the reason why you, we do come to the Lord's table and part of the reason why we, we have baptism is because it is commanded. Jesus says, go and baptize, right? Jesus says, take, eat, take, drink. And so I, I get it. But if, if that's all it is, if there's no promise behind it, it's, it's really just do it because I say so. And how much better that you say, oh, he commands it, but he commands us to do it because there's a wonderful promise connected to it. Right. There's been no reference to the promises at all. Right. No. They, they can't go there because it does nothing for you. Right. And so all it is is obedience and, it, and do it, do it, do it. But again, how, how do you how does that person who comes up to be baptized, how do they free themselves from the same problem this guy found himself in as a child wanting to do it for all the wrong reasons? You can't untangle yourself from that knot because it's still about you. Look, man, Paul had a dirty past. He killed Christians, but he was obedient because he knew he had a new beginning. Stop with the excuses. Baptism is an individual outward profession of faith in Jesus. It's a decision you make, not your parents, not your church, or anyone else. You don't have to get ready. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you're already ready. Look at your neighbor and say, you're ready. Look at your other neighbor and say, so are you. If you put your trust in Jesus. Okay, so you're ready now. You don't have to get right. I'll tell you this too. You don't need to get ready either. The New Testament was full of people that are obedient to Jesus and they don't have it all worked out. They don't have it all figured out. As soon as God tells them to do something, they do it immediately, immediately. Next week, we're gonna talk about being stupid for God in our new sermon series, Genius for Jesus. We're gonna talk about people that were immediately obedient to Jesus, but they were also obedient to Jesus as it pertained to baptism. Acts chapter 8, we saw an Ethiopian eunuch that had just accepted Jesus, and immediately after, his words were, look, here is water, what can stand of the way of my being baptized? You know what I love about this Ethiopian eunuch? He understood that the goods that Christ won for him had to be distributed. Yes. He knew that this was not just a decision that one makes, and thus one is saved. Yeah. He said, I want what God has to give me, i.e. forgiveness, life, and salvation. I want that, and if I can be baptized and get it, then what prevents me from being baptized? You know how the thief on the cross is always seen as having never been baptized? Yeah. 
the Ethiopian eunuch is always seen as making a decision for Jesus before he's baptized. Right, which is nowhere in the text. It's simply being unpacked for him, starting in the Old Testament, of course, which is a joy. And he doesn't, he never has that moment where he says, you've convinced me. I choose to believe. And you would think if decision was so critical in this, that that would be there. I can't understand what is happening to the Ethiopian eunuch unless I go to other baptismal texts in the Bible, which is exactly what is being avoided here. And, and, and wrestling with the points that are made in the Bible, like for the forgiveness of your sins. But even if we just looked at the Ethiopian eunuch narrative, if he is making an outward profession of something that has happened on the inside, who is the Ethiopian eunuch making this outward profession to? The, the chariot driver? Right. Well, I mean, I'm assuming it would be to Philip, I guess. Whom he'll never see again? Well, right. I mean, and what, what, yeah, what does all that mean? It's so ridiculous, well, even no. on its face. When someone stands up and says baptism is an outward declaration of an inward renewal or inward decision or what have you. There's a couple other things I want to point out that he, that he did here. And one of them is completely awful. Your parents don't decide for you. Your church doesn't decide for you. No one decides for you. But obviously this guy decides for you because he's telling you to do it. And it's 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 this awful thing because if your parents were laying it on as thick to a kid to get baptized as much as he's doing right here, he would say that's wrong. But here he is laying it on thick. And I think he thinks because he's talking to adults, maybe it makes it more acceptable. But you are trying to manipulate them and make it to make a decision that they may not be ready to make just like you were being offended by as a kid and now you're doing it to these people and that is deeply offensive <laughs> and it's just completely misguided right oh these those those people manipulating you are bad me manipulating you is good but the other thing he does is again he undercuts his argument because he wants you to make a, a decision and I'm assuming at some level it has to be an informed decision because otherwise a, a baby can't be baptized. I mean, that would be the ultimate uninformed decision, right, from his standpoint. But he says you don't have to know at all. Well, wh what exactly do I have to know to make that decision correctly? Cause, and that's not something – that's too hot for him to touch because uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know what makes a baptism stick, and that's why they rebaptize. You don't have to feel ready to get baptized. It's an immediate response to making Jesus Lord of our life. Amen, y'all. It's all about obedience. Look, man, some decisions require prayer. Some de decisions require that you seek God and you get counsel, but not baptism. Not baptism. And it's along the lines of those things that Jesus, without a shadow of a doubt, tells us to do. There's no thought that goes into it. We just do it. Someone needs help, you be Jesus to them. You don't think about it, you do it. Someone wants to accept Christ, you be, man, you lead them to Jesus. You don't think about it, you do it. When you put your trust in Jesus... You don't think and go, well, when's going to be the best time? I want to make sure that uh, my mom's in town. I want to make sure, but I understand all that stuff. But you be, man, you be obedient to Jesus immediately. And so I'm almost done. Band, go ahead and come up. Go ahead and come up, band. I don't know who's playing, if it's Brooke or whatever. We're going to sing a song, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, he was quick tonight. <laughs> Woo, baby. Look at your other neighbor and say, praise the Lord. I've been going about 50 minutes lately, so you guys are like, yeah.
I know. Jesus says this to you tonight. Jesus says this to you tonight. Maybe tonight it's not specifically about baptism. Maybe it's about something else going on in your life. But you know Jesus is calling for radical obedience. You cannot have a proper altar call until the music starts playing. And you know it's coming. I've always loved what Chris Roseborough says. He says, when you hear the music being played, this is a manipulation technique designed to create the impression that the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the audience. Mm. That's about, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and it works. I mean, like music manipulate, like I'm listening to a song and I'm, I my foot's tapping. And, Especially uh, if you're getting, think about what he's doing on the back end. It's not just the music by itself, obviously. It's this, this call, this call to action, this call to decision. Yeah. Especially when he's been laying it on so thick, you know, essentially like pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. We are ready to get in the car now. Yeah. Now that all of our bags are packed. Yeah, now that I've yelled at you for five minutes, kids, let's go have fun at the, at the zoo. Sure, but because he really doesn't have anything to offer, i.e. the forgiveness of sins, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Acts 2.38 says, any of these things, because he doesn't believe baptism gives those things, he's just going to repeat himself Yeah. for a five-minute altar call. Right. He's got nothing to give. No, there's there's nothing to point to. There is an empty box. We've just un, you know it was like okay, let's look at what's inside this box under this Christmas tree. We haven't torn into it, but we've just kind of yeah, baby, kind of opened it up, and I'll be doggone. There's nothing in it. Actually, you saying that has brought this to mind in my preaching and our preaching and Lutheran preaching. The task is to point at the cross of Christ unerringly. Now, and that was in there for like. A heartbeat. Well, it's called a gospel nugget, right? right. It kind of comes in and then it goes goes out. Yeah, it's it's not enduring enough, and it, it's obviously not the heart of his message. And this is one thing that happens in Baptist uh, preaching is that the gospel, the cross, becomes a rearview mirror thing. We want to talk about you, and this is the problem. His preaching is pointing unerringly at the heart of his listener, and he says, "I want you to be searching that heart to to know." whether you are going to obey today or not. And whenever you point a person to their own heart, you are telling them, stay lost in your sin. Because this is what sin does. It curves us in on ourselves. It's, it's God in his grace who comes and he, he, he unfolds our broken spine and, 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 and lets us stand up straight. And then finally, for the first time in our lives in Christ, we get to look out and we get to see the world. We get to see God and we get to see our neighbor. And we're, we're not gazing at our belly buttons, which is all sin does. And he's just saying, no, go, gaze, at, gaze away at that belly button, but gaze at it piously. Satan is completely pleased with you gazing at your belly button piously or crassly. He doesn't care. As long as you're in your sin, he doesn't care. The, the only saving grace here is that the Holy Spirit is greater than this false preaching. Amen. And that these people are being held in a faith that is bigger than them and their decision because God is so good and gracious to them. But for those tonight that have been thinking about getting baptized, struggling with whether or not you should do it, maybe you're sitting here right now and you didn't even give it a thought, but as soon as you walked in, you're sitting here thinking, like the Holy Spirit's telling you, yeah, man, you put your trust in Jesus. and Yeah, 
done this. This is not a legalistic thing to us, okay? We're, we're not saying if, if you don't get baptized or whatever, you're going to hell and we don't want you in this church. That's not what we're doing. This is about obedience to Jesus. And the thing about obedience is this. This is what's so funny about obedience. It always starts with the first step. That clarified it, didn't it? I love these pointless axioms. <laughs> Here's the thing about obedience. It always starts with the first step. I don't know how that helps me in this moment. And, well, he's uh, going to say that baptism is the first step. Their their mental ascent was the first step, right? And well, sure. Because he, he just said, cause they already took the first step. We're not saying you aren't saved if you don't get baptized. But I mean, we're really learning about the evangelical mind and the way that they think. It starts out okay. I mean, we're, we've not been very impressed with, you know, some of the videos and some of the— um, just the informal responses that he's made. Well, okay. But then when you just start getting into it, then you see that the argument doesn't stand. There's a lot of eisegesis as compared to exegesis. I mean, it is faulty from point A to point Z. I mean, it's it's all bad. And now, as I said earlier, during the altar call, it's just going to be this goulash flicked at everybody but the end result is if you want to be obedient to jesus you have to be baptized yeah and i mean we i guess we knew he was going there all along i know your obedience matters it's 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 this it's smarmy is what it is Mm -hmm. it's 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 speaking against yourself just a little bit to give you some breathing room when that's not actually what you're trying to say I see people all the time that come to Revolution Church, and we've had, I think, the number, I'm not sure right now, but I think it's almost 500 people that have put their trust in Jesus over the last two and a half years in our church. And I see so many of those people come, and they're like the the seed that falls on the ground, and it sprouts up, and then it withers away. And I believe the reason for that is because they don't start making steps towards obedience to Jesus. Like the first one is baptism and like they'll never get baptized and then they never learn like, oh, this is a good thing. This is awesome. Jesus loves me. He tells me to do stuff because he wants what's good for me. He wants me to listen to his voice and read his word for direction, not look on Facebook and at all the blogs and stuff like that. And I see people all the time that won't take their first step and they end up just kind of floating around, kind of doing their own thing, messing everything up, worse than it was before. Jesus is telling you tonight, get up. Ananias told Paul, get up and be baptized. Today, Jesus is saying, get up and be baptized to some people that are sitting in here today. Simple. Get up, be baptized. When Jesus tells us to do something, we do it. I want to tell you this. This is important. Important point. Listen to this, write it down, punch it in your phone.
I'm dealing with my kids. Some parents in here, raise your hand. Okay. And I tell them to, like we're walking through a parking lot, and I say, Titus, get over here and hold my hand right now because it's getting a little too far away. Well, he sort of ignores me for a second and just keeps on walking into the road. Titus, and eventually he comes back over. He's still being disobedient. Just because the end result, he did come back over. Sometimes I'm even madder then. You know what I'm saying, parents? Like, I'm like, why didn't you listen to me the first time? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. I'm not judging you. I'm not hating on you. I'm simply saying. I'm simply saying I'm judging you. That's so awful. I hate that. And this is exactly what we were just, it's smarmy. It's like, I'm not doing what exactly what I'm doing. Yes, you are. It's, it's all about this sense of urgency. And this is, this is the old revival tactic, right? If you don't do it now, you're doing it wrong. When you, when you create this level of urgency and this level of heightened emotion uh, for this to happen in, how can it endure? Well, okay, so if you're taking a gift like baptism— and turning it into a first step of obedience, then can you imagine all the other things that they've got to obey? You know, it doesn't matter if we're looking at our money, but there's there's avenues of obedience. It doesn't matter if we're looking at raising our kids. There's avenues of obedience. It doesn't matter if we're dealing with our relationship with the relationship with our spouse. There's avenues of obedience. I mean, everything about this is obey, 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 obey. Yeah. So my point is, well, of course you're going to have people walking away. And how, do, how does he explain that? Oh, they're like the, the seed that was planted on the soil and it you know, sprang up. And because it wasn't obedient, uh, it, it withered away. Which is because it wasn't obedient. That's not even in the parable at all. No, of course it's, not. It's, again, it's this reading into this, that ice of Jesus that, that is so frustrating here. And and again, he's just taking a little kernel of scripture and then manipulating it to his own ends. Yeah, it's it it is it makes me angry, so angry that he is burdening these people's souls so much. Well, I was done with this sermon. I don't know. I had to listen to it about four or five times before we even decided to review it. Uh, I'm about ready to cut it off now. But seeing how you're so bothered by it, I'm going to let it continue to go a little bit more, and let's just see what it does to you. Jesus is speaking to you to be obedient about certain things in your life. You be obedient. You listen. Jesus is telling you right now, get up and be baptized. You be obedient. You listen. Baptism is obedience to Jesus after you've put your trust in Christ. Baptism is a step forward in our relationship with Jesus, and it unites us with the church, with fellow believers, and it says to the world, I am all about Jesus now. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to take some class. You don't have to have a white robe, and that's the only thing you can get baptized. You don't even see through those white robes. You know what I'm saying? Don't use a white robe, okay? Like, you don't have to do all that stuff. You just have to get up and obey. So my question for you tonight is very simple. What are you waiting for? Question Ananias had for Paul. What are you waiting for? 
We're about to get crazy. Y'all ready to get crazy? Say amen. Everybody say, we're about to get crazy. Crazy. And I hope you're nervous, okay? Wherever you're watching from, I don't know. You're going to be watching this online and being like, fill the bathtub up, honey. I, gotta get, I don't know, you know? We're going to get crazy tonight here. And this is what I'm asking you to do. Those of you that know you're getting baptized, you've told us, you've said, hey, it's time. I got to get done. In just a second, we're going to dismiss you and ladies can go to the back with Kathy and I think Brenda's back there. They'll lead you where to go if you want to get changed and all that stuff. And the guys that are in here that have indicated to us, we've, already, we've had like probably 25, 30 people already this weekend say, I'm going to get baptized. I'll be there ready to do it, okay? But we also wanted to give an opportunity for the people that are sitting in here right now that are going to be at all of our venues and all of our services that if you showed up today not even thinking I'm ready to get baptized, maybe it was the furthest thing from your head, but right now God's dealing with you. At Revolution Church, when we do baptism, we have it ready to where anyone can get baptized. We've taken all the excuses away. We've got sandals. We've got shorts. We've got shirts. And we are asking you to be radically obedient to Jesus like the Ethiopian eunuch was. Hey, there's some water. What's keeping me from getting dunked right now? Regarding the Ethiopian eunuch asking that question, what does the law of Moses say regarding a man with that type of procedure done to them when they go to the temple to worship? They're, they're, for, they're outside. Yeah. They're outside. Because, yeah, that's, that's, that's a circumcision too far, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So they have to be held to a certain perimeter, as it were. Right. So when the Ethiopian eunuch is asking this question, like, I know what prevents me from being with those who are worshiping him in Jerusalem. What, it, what prevents me? Is it my race? Is it, is it the procedure I had, the fact that I'm a eunuch? Yeah. You, know, you know, what is it? Nothing. The gifts are available to all. This is actually an important stepping stone in Acts um, because that is one of the fundamental things happening in Acts is that it starts off with good Jewish people who are in all the outward ways worthy to receive uh, God's goodness in the temple or, or wherever. Um, and then it, it starts to, you get this ripple effect and it starts catching more and more. And right after the eunuch uh, comes Paul, well, Saul being converted. And, and what does Saul do? He's told that he's going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. And if there's one group of people that are unworthy to come into God's presence, it's the Gentiles. They're the unclean ones, and they have no way of purifying themselves. The Gentiles, they've got nothing. They're, they're, there's nothing that can make them right with God because they're not Jewish. And so that's and, – and the fact that it opens up to them is, is what makes Acts so huge. And it all just comes down to, to decision with this guy. Instead of seeing the, the marvelous of God working and opening up salvation through the Jews to the entire world. But, you know, even Jesus forecasted 
what we, you're talking about here when he said, you say you have your father as Abraham. I can make these stones cry out. Yeah. Well, well, he's not talking about the rocks around him. He's talking about the Gentiles, yeah. the stones, the you know, the worst of the worst, the base mm-hmm. of society. Yeah. And and to go off of what you were saying about the condition of the Ethiopian eunuch excluding him, uh, this does go back to Jesus' own ministry. Um, not with eunuchs, but with lepers. They're also excluded. They're on the outs. They have to be outside of society, even much less the temple. And what happens? Uh, if a leper touches you, you become unclean, and you need to do ritual washing and those kinds of things to be prepared. But then Jesus touches the lepers, and they become clean. And that's the picture of baptism. We come into the waters of baptism, even we dirty, dirty Gentiles, and Jesus touches us, and we are cleaned. And that is why baptism is so wonderful, because I'm not doing it. Jesus is touching me and cleaning me. And you saying that reminds me of the verse that talks about how it's a circumcision made without hands. Yeah. And, and, and again, this baptismal, we're brought into this place of promise. And what's the promise? That your sins are forgiven, that Jesus died for you. So everybody bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. Maybe you showed up here tonight dealt with those that need to be baptized. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a minute. Man, there's some people right now that are having a war in your head. I know Jesus is telling me to do it, but I don't want to do it. I've only been coming here a while. I don't know. I don't know. This makes me nervous. I didn't bring any clothes. My kids are in the kids' ministry. What are they going to think when they see me soaking wet and blah, 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 blah. I know. We prayed for you. Maybe you came here tonight, though. And as I've talked tonight about you need to put your trust in Jesus and then be obedient with baptism. The first step has you like stopped in your tracks because you're like, I've never even put my trust in Jesus. I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, but it didn't mean anything. Raised my hand a couple times at an altar call, but I've never made Jesus the Savior of my life. So, all this baptism talk, that's out the window for me because I don't even know Jesus as my Savior. I know who He is. I live in Crossville, Tennessee. We got a, over 100 churches here, lots of dead religion, but I've never made Jesus the Savior of my life. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to lead a prayer. We did this last week, we're going to do it again this week. As I say this prayer, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you need to put your trust in Jesus, I want you to say this prayer in your mind and I want you to put it in your own words. Put it in your own words. You don't have to say it just like me. Jesus knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He knows when you are making him Savior of your life. So nobody looking around. In your mind, just say this prayer. Lord, 
I'm sinful and I'm broken. I can't get stuff straight in my life. I can't do it on my own. I've put all of my trust in the things that I've accomplished. I'm full of pride, unfulfillment, always searching for that next thing. Just put it in your own words. And Jesus, I need a savior. I'm empty. I've got a hole inside me that only Jesus can fill. Put it in your own words. You know, he keeps saying, make this prayer your own. How can you make this prayer your own? He is spewing this prayer with a microphone and with the mood music going on in the background. And yet somehow or another, I'm supposed to make this my own? We can say one thing even as we're doing something else. Oh. And, and, and always, what this is important because I want the people listening to this to understand. You can walk away from this and be like, well, he said, well, he said, well, pay attention to what he's actually doing. He is putting them in this place. He is trying to do everything in his power to make this not their choice. He is, he is pushing and prodding and pulling in every conceivable way. He's despising the bride of Christ, talking about the church not being good enough unless you're in his little neck of the woods where they've got the spirit, I guess. He's talking about how all that times when it didn't stick as a kid, don't worry, it'll stick this time, we hope, because who knows? It's, it's about you and your obedience. The, the manipulation of the altar call and how it puts all the focus on the person is, is just, just awful. And, and he's using prayer again to get them into this state of receptiveness. It, this is all artificial, and so it's, it's hard for people to stick. I want to quit doing things my way, and I want to start being obedient to Christ. I want to start doing them His way. If you would, Jesus, would you save me? I need you right now. I put my trust in you. If you just said that prayer, in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss the folks that need to get baptized. You planned on coming tonight and being baptized, or you came tonight, and this is completely off your radar, but you feel like Jesus is saying to you, you need to get dumped. Wednesday night, I felt like God just really spoke clearly to me that there is going to be at least 50 people at Revolution Church this weekend that need to take that step of obedience and baptism. There you go. Direct download. God told him exactly the number to be looking for and to expect. And then he tells it to the people. And maybe this is why he's coming at it, because they don't have 50. They've only got 30-some-odd or 40-some-odd. There's still some more out there. God told me 50. You would think if God told them 50, you wouldn't have to put this much work into getting them to come. you figure God would just give them the 50. And, and I guess that's... I, I understand. I mean, theolog theological differences aside, I would be a lousy Baptist because I'm a lousy salesman. Because, I mean, he's just running over this same loop over yes. and over again. Right. You know, the old adage, you know, you have to say something seven times before it sinks in. Well, if seven times is good, uh, 70 times is better. 
and he's he he won't let them go right i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go in just a moment let me just keep selling it to you i'm gonna let you go just let me keep selling it to you for a moment i mean this is this is salesman tactics which is which is maybe why i i feel the sh the, the shmarminess of it all coming off and let me tell you something man if you're obedient i'm gonna tell you what it encourages the church like nothing else when people get baptized and saved. Amen, church. You just said that prayer, though. What I want you to do is I want you to stand up with the people that are saying, getting baptized. Men come up front to the corner here. Ladies go to the back. They'll tell you what to do next. At that point, you can make a decision about whether or not you want to get baptized tonight too. Radical obedience to Jesus. We've been praying all week about this. So on the count of three, nobody looking around. Everybody keep your head bowed and your eyes closed as we do this. Nobody looking around. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. Nothing like that. If you're ready to get baptized tonight, if you're ready to tell somebody you put your trust in Jesus tonight, on the count of three, I want you to stand up. I want you to go where you're supposed to go and get ready, and we're going to be dunking some people in a minute. I'm excited, y'all. Anybody else excited in here? Say, yeah, buddy. Mm. On the count of three, just stand up. One, two, three. Nobody looking around. Just stand up. If you're ready, just stand up. Amen. Amen. Nobody looking around. Just stand up. You feel like Jesus is dealing with you. Okay. I think that's about all I can do. It goes on for a few more minutes, but... A few uh, more minutes to yeah. get them baptized. Yeah. It's just, for a group that trusts in the Holy Spirit an awful lot, he's not leaving an awful lot of room for him to do much here because he's doing the heavy lifting, isn't he? He's, But it's all about getting lost in this moment. Just recognize how manipulative that is. What is being done completely here, and you hear him say it again and again, search your heart, be looking into yourself, search, search, search you to find the answer, and you will never find it. The answer is always in Christ. It has to, it's outside of us, and that's the beauty of our faith. It, it doesn't rely on this broken down thing. It relies on on Christ, who even though he was broken and, and, and wounded for my transgressions, he rose again and now lives gloriously. And in baptism, I, he comes to me and puts his name on me and cleanses me uh, with his blood that I might live with him forever. Well, you can live in that the rest of your life. Yeah, you can live into that forever, <laughs> into eternity. But this... Well, you, can't, you cannot maintain this emotional high for more than a few minutes. Then you go home and you go, huh, I don't, I don't feel anything. And that's when Satan starts to say, yup. And that's when he starts tearing you away because your, your emotions are never going to be enough. And whatever highs you chase, they're never gonna be enough. It's just like what you said, every sermon has to reach this level of, of guilt, but also transcendence and Lord help him if he ever misses a beat one Sunday and uh, it just falls a little flat because, boy, there's there's another preacher waiting right around the corner who will capture that and, and get these people going like he can't. Well, Pastor Oakray, I've enjoyed being with you, <laughs> but even though I'd like to do it again with you, I need time to decompress from this madness here. 
I think we all do. But it is, uh, as I say, it is always it is important for, uh, for me to hear these kind of things because I don't go seek these kind of things out. It's, uh, um, it's important to hear them to know that there is this kind of false teaching out there, this enthusiasm, this climbing up to God. You're taking the steps to God. God isn't coming to you. And that's, it's heartbreaking to hear, but it, it encourages me as a, as a pastor, and I certainly hope it encourages the listeners uh, in, in their faith to know that Christ has indeed done it all for you. He comes to you. He gathers you up, and, and what a comfort that is. Even comes to you, as we've said many times, in the waters of yeah. holy baptism. Yeah, and even to you as a, as a helpless infant. Well, we'll pick it up here next time. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.